Well, good morning, church. This morning, I'm excited to introduce to you our guest speaker this morning. He was with us about a year and a half ago. He's a good friend of mine, Josh Ross. Josh is the preaching minister at the Sycamore View Church of Christ in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and his wife, Casey, is here with him this morning as well. Noah is here uh, worshiping with our kids this morning as well. And uh, it's just a blessing to have uh, them with us. Josh has been a blessing in my life for almost 20 years now. Uh, he was one of the interns at the Highland Oaks Church when I was in the youth group there, and Casey was one summer as well, and they bless our lives, and uh, we're just glad to have him here. So this morning, if you'd come on up, Josh, I want to lift up a prayer uh, for God to speak through you and to open our ears to, to hear what he desires for us. God, this morning, we, uh, we proclaim that death is, uh, has been arrested, God, and our life has begun. We want to move more into that abundant life, God. We want to move more into the flow of what your spirit is calling us into. And one of the ways that we are called into that, that we are encouraged into that, God, that sometimes we're even rebuked into that, God, where it's needed, is through the word that's spoken. So today, God, I pray you would pour through Josh the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and our lives and we might live free lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Colin. Uh, it's great to be back with you. I was here about a year and a half ago, and uh, I love the church. I love how the church is God's idea. God has launched the church all over the world. God really has no plan B. I mean, it is to work in and through the church to spread the good news of Jesus. And when it comes to local churches, I love local churches who have a heart and a mission and a vision uh, that wants to live out the Jesus life in the world. I, I love local churches. Um, who care about the lost, and uh, I, I love local churches that care for my friends and my people. So thank you for being a church that loves up on Colin and Holly so well. Um, yeah, Casey and I were your interns almost 20 years ago. It's hard to even believe, but to see how God has grown your marriage and your ministry, so grateful. Hey, I we're in town because back in 2010, my sister tragically died, and at that time, my niece was nine years old. So we drove back into town this weekend because she graduated high school yesterday in Keller and um, grateful to be able to drive over last night and to preach here uh, this morning. Uh, There are a lot of things I love to talk about and to preach about. I love talking about Jesus and the kingdom of God and the church and what it means to live out the Jesus life in our communities. Um, And God has grown in my heart a desire to speak about relationships and especially the way Paul talks about relationships. So I want to talk about relationships a little bit this morning, and uh, in a way where I'm going to speak into hopefully all different kind of relationships. Let me lay a foundation with these three, um, uh, three ways. Let me lay a foundation. Number one is this. We want relationships to work, right? So number one is we want relationships to work. I've done countless marriages. I don't even know how, how, weddings. I don't know how many weddings I've done, and I've yet to do a wedding where people at some point say, man, we, we just, we kind of hope this works. Like it's an experiment. Maybe we'll make it five. Maybe we'll make it 10. Like we want relationships to work. I've been in hospital rooms a day after babies have been born multiple times. And I've never heard parents sit there looking at a newborn and say, man, we, we kind of hope this works. You know, maybe this will work. And in Memphis, where we are, I mean, we, we've done a lot of work trying to bring together whites and blacks and rich and poor and old and young and trying to bring them together to talk about reconciliation and what it means to be part of God's church where he's bringing people together from all walks of life. And, and at no point did we say, man, we hope this works. It's at no point did we say 10 years from now, maybe we won't have as much hatred in our heart. Like we want, we want all kinds of relationships to work. Number two is this. When Paul talks about relationships, 
When he speaks into relationships, when he makes points about relationships, he points back to Jesus. So even though Jesus wasn't married, uh, when Paul talks to husbands and wives, he's going to refer back to Jesus. Even though Jesus wasn't a, didn't have kids when he was on this earth, when, he, when Paul talks about dads or parents or children, he points back to Jesus. Jesus is the one that sets every relationship right. And number three is this. When it comes to relationships, I think the key word we need, and there are a lot of words we could fill in this blank. We, could, we need deeper love. We need a, a deeper covenant. There are a lot of words that would be true, but when it comes to making relationships work, the way God wants them to work, one word I think the church needs to proclaim is this, submission. Uh, and, and right now there may be some of you who are like, I've heard these terms before. I'm out of here. You know, I don't want to hear any more about this. I asked Colin, I said, what do you want me to preach on? He said, what, what ideas do you have? And I threw out four or five ideas. And he said, submission, because our church needs, church needs submission. Um, I'm just joking. Colin really didn't say that, all right? Uh, he said, relationships. And I said, that's fine. But in this, I want to I help give a biblical description and definition and view of what submission means. And let me just say right here, when I talk about submission, I'm not talking about that even if there are forms of oppression or abuse in your life, that you need to endure it. Because you were called to submit. Um, with the whole Me Too, Church Too movement, so many stories I've heard, and the church needs to give voice to so many of these stories. So it's not that. Submission doesn't make us into doormats where people walk on us. I think taking a posture of Jesus is learning how we know who we are in God so that when we submit, we are helping other people come to life in every way imaginable. The one thing that really strikes me about Paul when he talks about relationships is um, that Paul, when he addresses relationships in 1 Corinthians or in Ephesians or in Colossians, so when Paul addresses marriages, he doesn't throw in a line that says, if you're reading this letter right now, for those who aren't married, why don't you go get a coffee break and go get a donut or a bagel, because I need to talk to husbands and wives for a minute, and then, then come back in in a few minutes. Or when Paul addresses singles, he doesn't dismiss married people, or he talks to parents, that those who don't have kids or are told to go in another room. When Paul talks about relationships, he does it in the context of the entire church hearing what is challenging and what is forming to every other relationship around. So that single people know what the challenges are and what's forming married people. And married people have a heart to know what's going on in the lives of single people. This can be a challenge for us today, right? Because in many churches, what happens is we have a marriage night where married people are invited to come, or we have a singles ministry and it's singles, and then the way we view it sometimes in church is that single group over there, we really need to be praying for them to get married one day, because singles is like in the minor leagues, and then when you step up to the major leagues, you need to be able to get married. Instead of just honoring where people are in life and where God has them in life, this can be really challenging, but the way Paul does it is he wants everyone to be informed about what is shaping and forming and challenging everyone else. I hosted a forum in Memphis a, a few months ago. It's a forum I've, I've had a desire to do this for a couple of years. I just finally pulled the trigger on it. And what I did in one two-hour forum, we had a conversation about marriage, parenting, and singleness all in the same night. And I knew it was a challenge going into it, but I wanted married people to hear about single life, and I wanted single people to hear about married life, and I wanted parents, and we addressed single parents, and, and I didn't know if it would work or if it wouldn't work. It worked, because it's good for the church to know what's shaping everyone else. So open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. That's where I want to go today. And in the book of Ephesians, when Paul speaks into relationships, I want to show you just up on the screen. So as you're looking at Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, up on the screen, these are the six uh, relationships Paul speaks into in Ephesians 5 and 6. 
And over to the side of this, I tell you in parentheses how many verses Paul spends speaking to that relationship. So Paul's going to talk to wives for three verses, husbands for nine, children for a few. And he speaks to dad. Some of your versions has chosen to um, include that, to where it's parents. He's speaking specifically to fathers in verse 4 for a verse. He speaks to slaves for a few verses and masters for one. And I'm not saying based on how many verses he gives, he cares more about that than the other. But here's the six relationships in the church of Ephesus that Paul speaks into. So as you look up on the screen right now, and you see wives, husbands, children, fathers, masters, slaves, you see those, what is missing? And there are a lot of relationships that are missing that aren't up there, right? Because I don't think Paul's writing Ephesians and he's saying, all right, here, I'm going to just get, take a shot and try to speak into every relationship out there. He speaks to specific ones. He doesn't address moms. There are no grandmas or grandparents or siblings or he doesn't speak to singles here or widows. There are a lot of relational dynamics that Paul does not speak into in the book of Ephesians, which makes us think, why? Is it because Paul thinks these are the most important? And I, I don't think that's true. Or is it because Paul knows these are the relationships that are the most challenging in that church in that time, and Paul needed to instruct them and set them right, because not only was the the health of the church on the line, but the witness of the gospel was on the line too. So let's start in chapter 6, verse 1. Because Paul, in chapter 6, verse 1, he speaks to children, and he speaks to dads. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And as I, as I read, as you hear the word of God, I don't know if you mark in your Bible or you take notes, but I want you to notice how many times Paul is going to reference or point people to Jesus. So phrases like, in the Lord, or as in Christ. So highlight and just uh, circle or underline or put a star by all of these. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. So Paul speaks in the children and he speaks into parents here. Now, this was a time where fathers had 100% ownership of their kids. They could do anything they wanted to with them. They could keep them. They could get rid of them. And there would be no social or moral consequences for them. This is a time when fathers had complete ownership of their kids. And Paul speaks into the lives of children, calling them to live this way, ask to the Lord, and he speaks to fathers, giving them a heart challenge too. And then after that, Paul speaks to slaves and masters. And here's what he says to the slaves, you obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with anxiety of uh, sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. As if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, I know a lot of times we read this and we apply this to employee type relationships. And I know there are some principles that carry over. But Paul's speaking to a very specific relationship in his time that was happening in the church. And then he says, and masters, you treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Sometimes we read Paul and what he has to say to masters and slaves, and I think we may think, why did Paul not go after the system of slavery harder than he did? And I think the answer is that Paul thought the return of Christ was imminent. He thought Jesus was coming back quick. And this was such a systematic problem. It was so big. I wonder if Paul thought that it was even worth going after. But what Paul does say to the slaves and to the master was revolutionary. 
He was trying to embed in them and how they function with each other as image bearers of God, challenging them hard. Now with that, I want you to go back to chapter 5, verse 22. And I want to speak into this relationship between husbands and wives and why it's important for the church just for a moment. Here's what he says to the wives, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, how many of you sometimes read what Paul has to say to wives, and you're like, you know what, when we get to heaven one day, I think Paul's going to be there, but I would like to have just a brief little conversation with Paul about some of the stuff he has to say about wives submitting to husbands. Can I just see a show of hands who would like to have a little talk with him about this, all right? And my wife, I think, is, no, there are a few other hands going up in the house, all right? When women in that culture would have heard what Paul was saying in Ephesians 5, through 24, I think their response would have been, okay, like that's nothing new for us. Like that's, that was their culture. I think they would have looked at that and been like, all right, tell us something we don't know. Like we know that's true. Wives are supposed to submit to husbands. All right, we got it. Now Paul's calling them to do it just as you do to the Lord. So he speaks specifically to wives and that's what he gives them. And then Paul spends nine verses talking to husbands. And here's what he says. Husbands, you love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Casey and I, we just celebrated 16 years of marriage two weeks ago. We got married at 21 right after our junior year of college. In the first four years of marriage, we lived in Abilene. We finished up school, and then I was finishing up grad school and preaching in another church. And so we were there for four years in Abilene. Now, I, um, I, hopefully, I am not as passionate about my sports teams as I used to be. Uh, but it, this has been like an idol for me. So when I am a fan of certain teams, um, my, my immaturity level can drop during games. My IQ drops, and, and I can't afford for this to happen, all right? Uh, I'm a big Nebraska Cornhusker fan, even though I grew up in Dallas. I've been a big fan for years. And early on in our marriage, there was a Saturday when the Huskers were playing. I was watching the game because I don't miss their games. And it started to rain in Abilene, which is a really big deal if you live in Abilene. This doesn't happen all the time. So as I'm watching the game, it starts to rain, and the weatherman, the meteorologist, they interrupt the game for him to basically describe to people in Abilene what rain is, you know? So he, this guy comes on, he's showing the map and where the clouds are, and it goes on for a long time, 20 minutes or so. This guy's still on there talking. And they didn't even have the courtesy to put the game like in the bottom right corner, all right? I was hot. And uh, I, it got to the point where I call up the local ch- television station in Abilene, and they pick up the phone, and I'm asking to speak to the weatherman, all right, because I need him to at least put up the game in a box, you know. And Casey's like, Josh, you need to chill. Like, you need to go spend some time with Jesus. And I'm like, your mom needs to go spend some time with Jesus, all right? I don't need time with Jesus right now. I'm fine. And, and, then, and we started going back and forth, and she was so embarrassed because hopefully I've matured a little bit since then. And, and finally, I just looked at her, and I think I was half joking. And, and probably only half joking, but I was like, Casey, in Ephesians 5.22, it says, wife, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. <clears throat> and her hand went on her hip. <laughs> and, and Casey, I could tell in her mind, she's like, there is nothing more dangerous than a preacher who just takes a verse and takes it out of context, you know? And she's like, if you keep reading, and she really said this, almost word for word. If you keep reading Ephesians 5, what it says is the husband is supposed to treat their wife as Jesus treats the church. And you are not treating me like Jesus treats, treats the church right now. I, 
I know. <laughs> I've told this in a few times, and sometimes women are like, yes, yeah, I'm talking about, yeah. Um, <clears throat> here's, what, here's what Paul says to husbands. Now, what he says to wives, women would have been like, okay, that's nothing new. Like, we've, we've known that our whole lives. What he says to husbands would have been life-changing. They had never heard this before. Husbands, you love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in this same way, husbands, um, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And after all, no one ever heard, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When the wives heard this, I wonder how many of them elbowed their husbands. And when the husbands heard this, many of them would have been saying, wow, we've never received this kind of instruction before. That the call to the husband is just as Jesus laid down his life so that the church could thrive, the husband is called to lay down their life so that their wife can thrive. This would have been a game changer for them. Now, here's the thing, especially for you young people in here, those of you who maybe have a desire to be married one day, is that if the call to the husband is to love their wife as Jesus loves the church, what do you think the call to the man is before they get married? And what I'm saying is, too often in life, we lower the bar on relationships, and we lower the bar on what should be expected of relationships, and anytime we lower the bar, the moral compass goes with it. You need to think higher of yourself, just as God does. So the call to the wife is, as to the Lord, this is why you submit. Submission is not a bad thing. And the call to the husband is, just as Jesus laid down his life, you need to be ready to lay down yours too. Paul Paul speaks to marriage, and anytime I do a wedding, I'm doing a wedding coming up this Saturday, and I'm going to talk about this wedding. When Paul speaks to marriages, he's not just asking husbands and wives to love each other and then continue to love each other for the rest of their lives. He is talking about covenant so that when you come together in the church, Marriage is not just about two people loving each other and trying to stay in love. Marriage is about two people learning to become great witnesses to the covenant and the beauty of God. Marriage should become a form of evangelism to God's faithfulness in the world. Marriage should be about God's covenant being on display for the world to see. Now, I feel like I need to speak this word, and I don't know what's going on in the life of this church. I just know churches, especially in the Western world, struggle with this, is that we have made marriage the crowning piece of all relationships. Often treating single people in our churches, whether they have chosen to be single or not, as almost second-class citizens, or you are in the minor leagues until you are called up and you get married and then you become a more mature person. There may be single people in this church who just need to know that God loves you right where you are. And you may be single because you have chosen to be single, or you may be single because marriage just hasn't happened yet. God loves you and God cares for you and God wants to use you right where you are. And that may be where you always stay. There's some people who just were not meant to be married. And there are some married people who were not meant to have children. Maybe because of a choice. Maybe not because of a choice. I bet you can think of some people who should have never had kids before, right? I don't need you to point fingers at anybody in the room. 
All right, Paul speaks specifically to these relationships here. Now, here's something that I really want, I push our church and I'm going to push this church on to. When it comes to family dynamics in the Bible, when it comes to family dynamics in our culture, we have made the parent-child relationship the most important relationship around. The Bible doesn't do this. When you think of family dynamics and you study family dynamics in the Bible, the most important relationship is not parents and kids. The most important relationship is the marriage covenant. It's husband and wife. And we have made the most important relationship, sometimes even in the church, the parents and kids. If you've done much research at all, there's a high divorce rate within the first few years of marriage. And then there's also a high divorce rate when a family becomes empty nesters. Because if all of focus and attention has gone to the kids for 20 or 25 years, then you do not know how to live with your partner alone, just the two of you. Um, Casey and I made a commitment. Our oldest just turned 11 a couple of weeks ago. And we made a commitment in the first year of marriage that we were going to take a trip every year with no kids. And it would be a time for us to get away for a few days or a week for us to process life and talk about marriage. And it's the week that I usually ask her, like, I need you to push me, challenge me. Where, where can I, where do I need to honor you in ways that I, I'm currently not honoring you? And, and we talk about everything on that trip. For 11 years, we've honored that. Now, whenever we do this, uh, and maybe we post something on social media of, hey, we just took our annual trip together. People come up to us, especially to my wife, and they're like, how in the world can you leave your kids for more than one night? I can't leave my kids for more than one night. And it takes everything in us not to respond to that with a sarcastic laugh immediately, Okay because we want to be more pastoral than that. Usually it's my wife who has people ask her these questions, but usually our response is, well, it's not that hard for us because we just drive up to the grandparents' house and we slow down to five miles per hour and we toss the luggage out and the kids jump out the window and then we come back in a week, all right? We make sure they're in a place where they don't lack love, nurture, food, nothing like that. And we go and we have a blast. The most important relationship when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the family, is that the marriage is focused on each other. We want our kids to know this. So we talked to Truett and Noah, hey, daddy and mommy are going away this week, and here's why. Because we're raising you to get up out of this house and to go thrive somewhere, but we are going to be together forever, which means we continue to date and have these conversations. So let me push us in relationships in just a couple of ways. A couple of these will be specifically to marriage, and I hope to broaden it beyond that. And one of this, one thing is this. We focus so much in our culture on trying to find the right one when it comes to relationships. When Andy Stanley is someone who pushes people, that that should not be the focus. The focus should not be on finding the right one. The focus should be on you becoming the one God wants you to be, and then God can sort out the rest. If you were to see the shows I watch on Netflix or the shows I occasionally watch, you would, it's inconsistent whenever I, I, I push against some shows. But too often in life, what we've made of relationships is like the show The Bachelor, where you just line up 20 people, work your way through all of them, hoping you land on the right one and that it will work. Which I don't know if there's anything that flies in the face of marital covenant more. It's not about finding the right one. It's becoming the one God wants us to be. Secondly, the church needs to reclaim and elevate and lift up covenant as God intends covenant to be. 
that agape love is not just how you think about love, it's how you do love. That we need to elevate and lift up covenant. And thirdly, it's to understand, and just for me, just a voice in front of you, relationships are hard. Especially relationships where there have been any form of brokenness, it's hard. Reconciliation is hard. Um, I told a story in a sermon probably 12 or 13 years ago. And usually the way it goes is I come home Sundays after preaching, and I, Casey and I usually see each other maybe for the first time on a Sunday morning, and I'm like, Casey, uh, what do you think of the sermon? And she usually takes notes, and she's like, hey, here's what I really like, and here's where you definitely could have done better, all right? Um, uh, but there was one Sunday, probably 12 or 13 years ago, I came home, and Casey said, there's one story you told today, and you don't ever need to tell that story in a sermon again. So here's how the story goes, okay? Here's, here's the story. Um, she's here, and I told her for the first time after years, just a few months ago, and she knew I was going to tell it. And it wasn't that I told this one specific story. It's how I told this one specific story. That there's a story of a guy I know, and in his church was a couple who, um, the man was away on a business trip, and late at night he embraced a coworker, and uh, they kissed. It stopped after the kiss. But he called home, told his wife what had happened. The wife told him to come home immediately. The next morning, he needed to be on the first flight. So he arrived back at home, not knowing what to expect when he got there. And uh, they put the kids to bed. And then the wife led him into a room where she had put together communion, the bread and the cup. And they sat down, they took communion together. And then she took him by the hand and led him to the marriage bed. Now, this relationship, though that's the decision the wife made that night, it was hard work for well over a year for them to repair what had been broken. So I told that story. And the way I told that story in church was that if there are any marriages today that are hurting or relationships that are hurting, if you'll just take communion seriously today, it can heal whatever is broken. Now, I don't want to minimize communion either because I believe there is power and reconciling power in communion that can set us on a path of healing. But I made it sound like it was such an easy thing. So when I came home, Casey said, there's a story you told this morning, and you don't ever need to tell it again. For one, if you ever lay your lips on another woman, communion will be the last thing waiting on you when you come home. (laughs) There ain't going to be no body broken of Christ. (laughs) His body's not going to be the body that's broken, all right? Uh, Not going to be any fruit of the vine. There's not no cup. And the very last thing is going to be me taking you by the hand, leading you to some marriage bed. And then she said, secondly, when you get to talk to people about relationships and reconciliation, don't make it sound so easy. Because this is hard. I'm assuming in this church there's been divorce. There's been moral failure. There's loneliness. There's depression. All forms of brokenness. Some of you may be right in the middle of living it. This this is not hard. Reconciling and getting relationships and wanting them to work, this this is hard work. So this is why I think submission is so important. Submission is not you becoming a doormat so other people walk on you. Submission is modeled in the life of Jesus who lays down his life so that others can have life. Submission is you believing so much and being confident and who God has created you to be, that in that confidence, you are willing to leverage everything you have for the good of a spouse or a child or a coworker or whoever the other is in front of you in a day. 
How can I leverage my heart, my time, my energy, my resources so that someone else can have and experience life? This is biblical submission the way Jesus wants it to be. Uh, I'm a big Will Smith fan. I have been for years. I used to watch and memorize every Fresh Prince. I used to use his pickup lines on girls when I would date them. I even used a few on my wife. And that's why she said no to dates until finally I quit using them. All right. Will Smith went on to mature in his career, and I'm not sure if I did for a while. Um, uh, Will Smith uh, shot a movie called Hitch, probably 12, 13, 14 years ago. I was such a Will Smith fan at that time that not only would I watch a movie, I would find like interviews of him talking about the movie. And there was one interview in Hitch, and, and I don't know if you remember the movie, but Kevin James, he's a big time actor now, was in that movie. And some of the pushback that Will received when he shot Hitch was, how could you let someone else come into the movie and steal the show? Kevin James was great in the movie. Because there are a lot of actors, male and female, who if they are A-list actors, they don't want anyone else coming and stealing their thunder. So Will was asked this in an interview. How did you, a lot of people are saying Kevin James came and stole the show of the movie. So how could you have scenes where you're allowing him to basically take over the scene? And Will's response was this, and I think this works for marriage, parenting, leadership. Will's response was, I think it is my role to whoever, whoever I'm working with to allow them to play their gift and their ability, their talent, their instrument to the very best of their ability. So how can I help get them on center stage to do what they do to the very fullest of their potential? And when I heard that, I immediately began to think about the church and leadership, and relationships, of how can I lay down my life and help others get to the stage where they can play their gift to the very best of their ability. And so it is in the church. Can we uh, close our eyes, bow our heads? If you're willing and comfortable, you just open your hands where you are, just to receive from the Lord this morning. I know for me, a lot of times when it comes to prayer, uh, just opening up my hands my heart follows my posture. So God, today with open hearts and open hands, I pray for the people in this room, for those who are in the process of being healed, for those whose healing has begun because of brokenness in any form of relationship, that the Spirit of God will come upon them to continue to point them in the right direction. I pray, God, that you teach us to follow Jesus in a way this week, that we will be so confident in who we are in you, that we are willing to lay down who we are so someone else can have life and experience life. And God, ultimately, I pray for this church, that the same power that was able to lift Jesus out of a grave will be upon them to bring them to life in every way imaginable. And I pray this in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. As we close today, I hope you'll take something from this message. I know it's hit us in different places, no matter where we are in our, our lives right now. Take something with you this week. Write that down. Dwell on that. Ask God to improve that in your life. Open your hands again this week as you receive from God. But I think there may not be a more prophetic message in our time than a message about submission. Because we live in, our, in a culture right now that is obsessed with rights. We live in a culture that is obsessed with power. And uh, this is a, a call to the church to be this in the world, to live this out. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's try to live that out this week, church.